Welcome back to the Own Your Awkward podcast. I'm your host, Andy Vargo, and every episode we get into what has made our guests vulnerable and how they've learned how to own their awkward in order to live their best life. Stay tuned so you can hear every awkward moment in today's show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another awesome episode of Own Your Awkward. Today I am super excited to have another local musician and not only that, but a friend and so much more, Dave Hannon. Dave, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. It's so great to uh, have people that I know in one respect and then get to know them in a whole different way when we bring them on the show. So it's, it's, it's the, one of the coolest things about doing music, right? Like get to know each other on a personal level. I love that. Definitely. And and you guys, you, you're amazing. So, uh, so uh, and for, for people who've been listening and paying attention to, to episodes, Dave is the other half of Nicola Lindy who we had on a couple of weeks ago. So uh, make sure and check out that episode as well. Yes, do it. Otherwise I'll be in major trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to have a duel and see which episode uh, outperforms the other. <laughs> Nicola would love that. <laughs> and she I would win. <laughs> she'd be, she'd be uh, promoting it everywhere. It's like, okay, come That's on. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Dave, I like to start out just finding out because I think there's so much going on in the world and there's so much good that we sometimes overlook. So what is the most positive thing you see happening right now? Hmm. I think that's awesome that you start off that way because um, we can get stuck in the negative pretty easily. Um, to be quite honest, um, I don't know if this is the most, but it's one of the most positive things I see. Um, because I teach uh, middle school, I would say it's the brilliance and resiliency of our youth. Um, it's cliche that our youth are our hope, but I love that spark that's still there, even, even if they try to hide it yeah. <laughs> and say that, you know, like I'm too cool for that. Um, obviously in, you know, being a new dad, I see it in a different light. Um, but that, that spark and that intelligence and that brightness in our youth um, still does exist, even though it's so easy to overlook. Um, not everybody gets a front row seat to it like I do every day in the classroom. So, right. Yeah, it, that's such an interesting thing to point out because, you know, we see the youth out there and it's, it's really easy to see where they're where they are having resistance and where they are you know maybe changing the world in a way that we don't want because they're kind of rocking the boat a little bit or they're asking questions that maybe need to be asked but we don't want to face but to see the resiliency of all the stuff they've gone through especially the the kids that you're teaching have had a much different childhood the last few years with being out of school being online school having things thrust upon them in a way that adults had a hard time coping with mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. And these, these kids, uh, obviously you see a variety of ways that things are being handled and a lot of it does stem from like where they're coming from at home, you know, and whether home life is stable or good or, or it's not. Um, but the coolest thing is that on one-on-one, -on -one, um, there's still that hoping within themselves and that searching within themselves that, Hey, you know, like 
there's, there's gotta be a better way than how we're currently doing things. You know, that, 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 that hope for the future to be better. Um, And you're right. It's been been one heck of a ride the last three years in, well, for everybody, um, but in teaching in a variety of different ways, like it's just all these different worlds have kind of been thrown at you all at once. And, and every day people were trying to figure out how to restructure things to get uh, kids back in the classroom and, and, and in a safe way and all this stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been madness to say yeah. the least. Well, cause there is, there's, you know, you have this, this huge obstacle thrown in front of us, but then the job still needs to get done. Right. So everyone has to kind of rally and say, okay, well, how do we get around or over or through or under that, whatever we have to do to get past that obstacle, or do we teach around it? Like, what do we do where maybe it's still there, and, but we need to somehow make this job happen. And we, because it's too important. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and oh man, watch out soapbox time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you may want to edit this part out. I don't know. Um, but I feel like the last three years have just shown a spotlight on what I feel needs to change and what is potentially available for us in the world of education Hmm. as well. And, and this whole question, it comes back around, are we meeting the needs of today's youth? Like, are we really doing that? You know, and it's, you know, I, again, I like how you start off your podcast with like, okay, what's the positive we see in the world? Because everybody and their neighbor could point towards, well, this is wrong and that's wrong. And this is wrong. There is really good stuff happening in the world of education, but most people, especially I guess public education, most people wouldn't see it because they're not tuned into those, um, those thinkers those uh, journalists, those people who are uh, bringing up that conversation all the time. Um, And so to shine the spotlight on things that could be better, um, I think is personally great because um, I don't know, I feel like there's a habit for sure of kind of just, well, (laughs) in the school district I teach in, we call it T20. It's the way we've always done it, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> like I said, you may want to edit this part out. Um, <laughs> but you know, we can just get stuck in our own rhythms. Right. And I think with education and any, any sort of public service or any job that we're doing, we can get kind of stuck in that rut. Like, well, this is the way that we've always structured this. So we're going to continue to try and push forward, even though the world around us is changing and we don't want to change how we're doing things because this is what we know and this is how we've structured it and this is the way we've always done it right and the, the thing that's in that strikes me as interesting as a, the, a big challenge as a teacher is that you're teaching kids to be prepared for a world that we don't know what it'll look like, like w- when i was a kid i never thought that being a content creator would be a job being a software you know, developer, like there are jobs that exist now that were not even a thing because the internet wasn't a thing. Like it's so incomprehensible to think about how do you say, well, what are we going to prepare you for when you don't know what the options might even be? 
So then it comes down to, well, we need to teach you how to be prepared, how to think and that, that that's a whole, whole different, I mean, I'll get on a soapbox now, but, it, but it, that's a huge challenge because it's not like you can say, well, these kids are interested in being, you know, firefighters and these kids are interested in being contractors or construction. And these kids are interested in, in being, you know, scholars or teachers or doctors Like you can't just go through and say, well, we're going to put you on these courses, like, like hunger games or something where you, you find your district and that's what you learn. Right. You don't even know what those options will be. It's true. It's very true. And this is why I feel like, um, at least in the undercurrent, if you will, with loose quotes for those who are listening, um, in the undercurrent of education, there's a firm push for strengthening creative thought. And what I mean by this is, um, how does one create a future for oneself? You know, our kids, they, they, everything is so immediately accessible for them that to have the critical thinking behind the creative process, you know, so, um, you brought it up before we started recording, you know, like what, what could you do to build your brand every day? Me as a musician, what could I do to build my brand every day? So our, our, our youth, are they thinking about those things pragmatically? If you want to be a content creator, fantastic. But here's the work behind the scenes that it takes in order to get all of that together. Right. Um, more than just what you see in that frame for that two minute video or, or, or however, however long or whatever the content is you're seeing. Exactly. I mean, a rhetorical question for you, but how many hours behind the scenes of your podcast, even just your podcast alone, do you spend putting everything together? Yeah. I I would say more than people would realize. Yeah. When you look at the promoting, the inviting, um, Mm -hmm. I have a hard time even getting a handle on it sometimes. Like when I look at scheduling out, I'm I'm a big fan of budgeting. And one of the things I budget is my time. Mm -hmm. if I'm going to bring on a new responsibility or a task, I think, is that something that's going to be two hours a week, four hours a week, six hours a week? And the podcast was something I had a really hard time pinning down, you know, okay, sure. I record for 45 minutes or so, but there's the getting on, logging off and then all the other stuff. So when you look at quantifying that, it really is tricky and, you know, extrapolate that out over every aspect of the different things that we do in our day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting, like musicians have talked about that. I know that it was true of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. They would talk about the early days with the Beatles. And we're talking even before, you know, the Beatles really even took place. And I've heard other bands, Tom DeLong of all people from Blink-182 also comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But um these bands that people have heard of and and we you know most people know their songs um they these musicians were obsessing with what they could do every day to better their product to better their craft um and to get themselves you know to promote themselves to get themselves out there all that stuff so um in the classroom you know I feel like there's a, especially in middle school, because <laughs> the frontal cortex isn't completely formed yet, <laughs> but um, I feel like there's sometimes a disconnect uh, or, or 
uh, my students wouldn't realize that if they want to say, for instance, be a YouTuber and be a content creator, um, there's hours and hours and hours, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours that they need to spend behind the scenes working on whatever they want to put out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's the thing is you have to love it enough mm -hmm. that the work doesn't bother you. Yes. You push through it when it does, like whatever it is, you have to be, you know, I've been doing some monotonous stuff the last week, updating stuff on my website and I'm, you know, and it doesn't bother me because I'm excited about the product that's coming out of it. And I'm excited about the, the, the idea that it highlights what I have to offer in a better way. And it shows off my guests in a better light. And, uh, but you, you have to be that excited. Um, my, my sister told me one time early on before I got married, she, she was telling me about, she said something about, you know, I, I love my husband more than anything, but I see the worst side of him. Right. Every flaw, everything. And, and my first thought was, what's the, e what is that evil? Like, like that there must be something so evil. Cause I was young. I was like 16. I didn't understand what it meant as far as like, she's just saying, I see every flaw because we're that close, but you're in a relationship where you love them so much more that those things don't matter because it outweighs it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think through anything that you pursue, you always learn something new for the next step, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like whatever jobs you may have had in the past, they kind of inform how you better your craft, whatever you're working on currently. Right. Um, and I, <laughs> my grandfather on my dad's side always said nothing before 30 is ever wasted. And I was like, well, that's just a crock of nonsense, but the older <laughs> I get, um, I think, you know, I understand what he meant by that is you're taking these experiences and you're putting it towards you're using that wisdom to put it towards whatever you're currently working on. Yeah. There's, uh, I really am a big fan of not living with regrets and being able to say whatever experiences I've had have put me on the path and given me either the lesson or the trajectory to get to where I'm at today mm -hmm. and right, wrong, good or bad. Could I have made a better choice in, in many situations? Definitely. But it's like this choose your own adventure. While, while that combination of every choice, good and bad that I made landed me where I'm at today and I'm happy with where I'm at today. So I have to make the good choices with the Mr. X and the things I did wrong or choices I made. It's like, that's all part of whether it was, could have been easier or better. That's all part of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know if this is ties into what we've been talking about or not, but the world wants to know, Dave, what's your awkward you've had to own to live this great life you're living. <laughs> you know, I knew I was coming on your podcast and I know that you asked this question. <laughs> um, I think it's ultimately just, um, I know Nicola spoke to this, but in my own way, um, your, your own self-worth and your own self-talk. Um, I, I just, I guess your own self-view um, because, uh, you know, I'm 40, right? And I, oh, I spent all of my 20s and pretty much all of my 30s doing a really good job of beating myself up. Mm. Um, and I mean, this is just like the whole idea 
um, you could summarize it in one sentence. You're not worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've said that sentence to myself many a times, you know, sure. I get it. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I, that's a, that's a human experience, right? That's why sad songs touch us in a way that, you know, <laughs> when we're yeah. feeling, we're feeling mopey, um, you know, that's what we want to listen to. Um, and I feel like that's probably why I was drawn to the artists and the music that I was drawn to. Right. You know, I was like, I, you know, I have nothing against electronic, you know, electronic and music or whatever, but that's just not my speed. I'm, right. I want to, sometimes I want to wallow, you know, and sometimes I, yeah. you know, and I just wanted to kind of stay there too. I realized that it was um, two pronged um, that it was the way I was choosing to see myself. Mm -hmm. um, and that also became kind of like a security blanket in a bizarre way. You know, this whole mantra of I'm not worth it is comfortable. Yeah, it's because I wouldn't have to own anything. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have to maybe share some of the the scariest parts of myself, you know, like wow. a, a protection, you yeah. know, a defense mechanism. So, I mean, that's a pretty vague, you know, answer, but I think it would be self-talk. I mean, um, it came out and it manifested itself or it has in many ways, like growing up, um, I'm the oldest out of, um, three boys. Okay. And, um, the first thing that anybody ever, when they saw us three brothers together would point out was, wow, Dave, you're like six or seven inches shorter than your brothers. Right. Okay. And that sounds like a silly, the oldest. silly, silly thing to, to mention, but, um, I'm a sensitive soul and I really took it to heart, you know, especially yeah. growing up. And I just remember so many, <laughs> so many awkward, stupid scenes from high school where I was pining for this girl that I thought was cute. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, Dave, you're cute. But, you know, and because I wasn't tall like my brothers or whatever. Yeah. And, and so that caused me then another defense mechanism that I feel that I put up was to busy myself. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, I was involved in anything you could possibly think of. I was involved in drama. I was in, um, cause I grew up in a small private school that was attached to a big church here in Tacoma. And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. <laughs> um, but I was in like several different worship bands and I had my own little wannabe pop punk band that I was also involved in and I was running cross country um and track um so it was you, the awkward came out in different ways and I was trying to busy myself and then also I think and this is awful to admit um this is a me owning my awkward but um I tried to indirectly attract attention perhaps in a negative way with this whole woe is me attitude, if you will. Sure. Um, and I've seen it, you know, it's come out in, you know, my family relationships, uh, my marriage, you know, like these things have, you know, they're, they're going to crop up, right? And they are, they're not just gonna go away. Um, and so, here I am at 40 and, you know, I'm 
I, I'm not there yet by any means, but I feel like that is that is on the forefront um, of me trying to own, you know, past awkward and current awkward, I guess. No, I, I love that. There's there's a lot to dig into there. And one of the things, you know, you mentioned that it pops up still. And and that's one of the things I think that we make the misconnection or the we have this expectation that we are going to own our awkward. We're going to get to a great place. We're going to solve whatever our issues are. And we always see it as they're solved. And then we're done with them. But part of that resolution is that we've learned how to put them back in their place when they come back up again. Right. It's like, okay, well, yeah, this woe is me is going to pop up when I'm not feeling secure, maybe in my marriage or in my job. And I need to change the conversation in my head to say, no, that was, that's the way I handled it 10 years ago. And now it's still going to come up, but this is how I handle it now. And that's, that's kind of where the real work comes in is that we're continually reowning it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I like how you put that because I do think that um, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes in our current society, we think that um, it is kind of a destination and it's less a journey, but it really is more of a journey because like you said, these things are going to find their way back up to the surface. And it's how you first and foremost, like choose to identify them or not. And right. then how you know first and foremost is identifying it and then and, and taking a moment in that time when it's when it does crop up saying okay this is what it is and this is the conversation that i need to um that i need to have um yeah. or that would be best for me to have um at the moment because you can choose whatever you want yeah. right um and i'll be honest i've definitely chosen the old like I'm going to get angry or I'm going to get silent and I'm going to shut down. And that's my defense mechanism, you know, more yeah. of like a porcupine attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just my, my bristles are going to be out and nobody's going to touch me. Um, <laughs> or I can say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm acting from a place of anger. I'm acting from a place of insecurity and hurt and I need a moment to collect my own thoughts and I need to talk to you about this in just, you know, in my own time, or, you know, like I need to open up that conversation right then and there, either within my own mind or with someone who, you know, I'm, I'm um, in front of when I'm reacting to a difficult situation. Right. That's fair. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, you know, you said you were in this, wallowing you know staying busy having the the self-pity moments and it was comfortable why didn't you stay there did, did was there a point where it stopped feeling good or what happened um great question well like i said if i'm being fully honest i still get there you know <laughs> sure, yeah. but i think um first and form first and foremost like well i mean it was a collection of things um, teaching middle school gets you to realize that that's just really kind of a um, a path of zero growth, right? Like if I'm going to be um, some sort of Zen master in my later years, right. <laughs> show, the, 
lead the youth to the the the, the golden path, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, but I guess if I'm going to react to their current situations, you know, or um, if I'm going to be with them as they're reacting to their own current situations, um, it just reminded me, I'm like, you know, like I'd, I'd watch a student just, just pop off and get super angry. And I'm like, you know what, this person is 13 years old. And recently I have been acting like a 13 year old. And that's a conversation, obviously I have in my own head, Right. Uh, but, but as I go home and I'm reflecting on the day, I'm thinking to myself, um, wow, Dave, there's really some stuff that you haven't chosen to deal with yet. Or when stuff does get difficult, you, you react the same way as your students. And that is a choice. And that is a way that you could choose to live life. And a lot of us do, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's understood, you know, like I wouldn't judge anybody for being frustrated in a particular situation because we all get angry, we all get frustrated, but there is a much better way to handle these things. And I think, um, again, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a choice and, um, being a a relatively sensitive person, I know that in middle school, at least, if I'm honing in on that age group at the moment, uh, which is a very susceptible time, uh, it's a very uh, sensitive and and delicate time. Um, I know that I responded best to someone coming right alongside me, sitting down next to me and just saying, I'm really sorry you're having a difficult time. And that's it. It's all that somebody would need to say. And then I was like, wow, this person isn't laying into me like my parents or um, my teachers or whomever, you know, I might've been struggling with it in an authoritarian type of way. Yeah. Uh, this person just wanted to sit down next to me and just say, you know what? I get it. Yeah. It's a rough day. And, we all have them. Yeah. yeah. So see my students, that was definitely an impetus to like, okay, there's got to be some restructuring and then, you know, being married too. Like you put it, I like the way you put this, you know, when you were 16, 17, who did you say said it to you? Oh, um, it was my sister. Your sister said like, some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I see this person every day. And so you see the best and the worst, you know, and um, especially having a child now you know she's 11 months and I keep thinking in the back of my mind like I do not want her first thoughts to be um her dad's angry or shut down all the time wow yeah I I I wanted I want her to feel safe in coming to me all the time and in order for that to happen um (laughs) my my chakra has to be in alignment <laughs> or whatever right. you want to say. I, I have to be able to model for her, hey, tough situations are going to happen. And here's a path that you could choose, you know, um, dealing with it in a human way, but also being able to change the conversation and knowing that at least you have power in how you're going to react to a situation. Yeah, no, that that's beautiful. Cause when you think about, you know, 
your your little one is not quite a year they're they're soaking up everything and just like a sponge absorbing absorbing the feelings the emotions the reactions and that's all teaching and we forget that a lot of times yep absolutely and it scares me sometimes (laughs) and i guess in a, in a good way, because it's inspiration. You know, you asked like what caused me to own my awkward. Um, and, and I love that. Uh, probably my students, probably my wife <laughs> and, and, and my daughter as well. Um, and I'm grateful for that because so many people don't even, I feel like had they they may come to owning their own awkward or never owning their own awkward um, in much more tough, difficult ways. So I, I say all of this in the utmost gratitude for um, my wife and for my daughter and just for the life that I have um, and for my students in the classroom and all the lessons the human lessons that teaching is teaching me, <laughs> you know, besides my content, you know, just the human lessons that I'm learning through that. Yeah. So as a teacher, do you find that you're able to incorporate this lesson in, you know, you're, you're, when you're teaching, I imagine you've got your subject matter where it's like, I'm here to teach you music today or whatever we're, we're focusing on mm-hmm. through life and all the things going on in kids lives and whatever's happening in that school there's all these other chances for lessons so are you able to to pull in or how do you how do you pull this into how you work with the kids you work with hmm i appreciate that uh honestly trying to just be as real as possible right from the get-go at the beginning of the school year um there's a statement that is still put out there in the educational world. Well, you are their teacher, you're not their friend. Mm. And to a degree in like the, the tough love Yoda type of way, uh-huh. I understand that. I understand that line. Yeah. But we are living in such a day and age where the chance to be fake is so stinking easy and the chance to put up a, a, a propped up false sense of who you are and this, this projection of who you would like to be. Right. That dialing it back, you know, the core, I've learned this, the core of a really good classroom conversation is the same as any conversation you have anywhere is this first and foremost, this relationship, you know, like I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And that's why I feel so comfortable sharing all of this with you is because you're real and there's no pretense. Of course, we all have our own awkward, <laughs> but, but it's easy to talk about these things when you feel safe with the person that you're sharing it with. Mm-hmm. And you try as best as possible right from the get-go to include who these students are, who these kids are, where they're coming from. And then you add the content in later. Honestly, you have to weave it in. Um, I, like I said, I feel like I've encountered two different types of school, you know, schools of thought. It, it, you know, one is just the strict 
taskmaster. And some kids respond decently to that because they've had such an unstable home life. Um, and then there's the other, that if you go to the extreme, the other side of it is, hey man, I'm just the same as you, you know, we're hippie, right. hippie, <laughs> and you know, I am your friend. So to find that balance kind of um, being approachable, but also enforcing that sense of safety in your classroom. Um, the best classroom conversations that I've ever had are really when you're just the facilitator and you, you sit back and you watch these students figure out who they are through their own verbal processing. So honestly, I tell, I tell students, you know, if you're coming through my classroom and you happen to learn the difference between even something as simple as uh, a subject and a verb in a sentence. Okay, that's one thing. Yay, is that really gonna change your life? No. What's really gonna change your life is how you learn to continue to hone the English language or any language you speak to better communicate who you are as a human being and to better process who you are as a human being. Wow. So thanks. Um, I, you know, after years we take, just like good musicians, you know, they, I've heard it said, you steal, you don't borrow, um, you know, from other, you know, masters of whatever, like, you know, master musicians, they steal from other master musicians, master educators, they steal from other master educators. So that's something that I've just kind of taken from other people's classrooms Mm -hmm. and kind of just gelled into my own. Um, And what's really interesting to note about the current way things are is that somehow, some way you have to find a way to like bring all of that protective armor that the kids come into the classroom with because they, the last thing a middle schooler wants to do is share how they're feeling or what they think on a particular topic because immediately then you have 30 other middle schoolers jumping right on it. Immediately, yeah. So um, I do a whole bunch of exercises at the beginning of the year, try and get students to feel a bit more comfortable in owning their own awkward, you know? Um, I try to lead the charge and just yeah. saying, no, I'm, I'm a goof, I'm a weirdo. Um, and I've, it's taken me a long time, but I love that now. <laughs> right. well, it's all about having them feel comfortable in the space because the conversation is not going to happen if they're, if they're not comfortable enough to be vulnerable. And if the other thing I'm sure that has to happen is that everyone else have, brings a level of respect so that everybody can know that they can have conversations and that they will be respected and that everybody else can be just as vulnerable and as respected too at when people let their guard down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it sounds kind of strange, but the better I get to know my students on a personal level, um, the better I feel like I'm able to weave in that sense of safety in the classroom, mm-hmm. um, which is where some of these exercises at the beginning of the year have come from. Um, the, as tough as it is to get students just a little bit outside of their comfort zone, but start with their comfort zone, right? And work out from that. Like like a pebble dropped into a pond, you know, just each mm-hmm. little ripple is an extension and a push 
towards hopefully by the time we hit Christmas break, they are starting to get to the point where they're comfortable, you know, um, sharing in front of each other. Now, now you said a sentence at the beginning of this, uh, you, you use the, the phrase, I'm not worth it. And then, mm. you, you know, your twenties and thirties kind of using that to keep you in your self wallowing mode. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you see kids with that mindset. Do you have a new sentence or a way that you've changed that phrase or that you maybe even give the kids to, to restate? Other than I am worth it. No, I mean, I just really just kind of try and, you know, uh, charge it head on. I used to teach fourth and fifth grade um, special education at a school in this uh, Stillicum school district and is when I first met Nicola and she has a song that has um, a lyric that says, I am worth it. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I put a mirror towards the front of the room, like the, you know, the doorway oh, yeah. and above, above it says, I am worth it. And I, with the kids anytime, cause I'd have groups of kids coming and going. Right. Yeah. So I would literally interrupt lessons to go, meet students at the door if I have new students coming in and we would they, they they learned very quickly we would have to look in the mirror at ourselves and we would have to say I am worth it whether we believed it or not wow you know? I love that <laughs> thanks so everybody listening or watching grab a post-it note write <laughs> I'm worth it and stick it on your mirror so right you see that all that because I love that because there's something about looking at yourself yeah you, you can have the conversation in your head but yep. when you're seeing yourself head on and you physically see you and you're saying those words, that's, that's a whole different level. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks. I, it is. And, and it's also tough because, you know, at that point um, I, I did it for myself too. Right. You know, right. and I, sometimes I would have that conversation with my students, albeit they were, you know, fourth and fifth grade, but they still understood you know, like the adults around them struggle with this same mentality. Mm-hmm. And so last year, um, and I think the year before when we're in the smack dab in the middle of COVID and things are just insane. And I'm talking to, you know, uh, a black screen on Zoom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. got, you know, the camera off and, and the, the mute, the, you know, the microphone is off, everything. And I'm trying to talk about these things. Um, but I start the school year off by saying to my students, to my classroom, like, hey, you know, I've taught here at this school for seven years now. And the number one thing I face isn't whether somebody knows how to put an essay together beautifully or whether they can read fluently on a grade level, above a grade level or below or whatever the biggest thing I fight, so to speak, in the classroom is this idea of I'm not worth it. Wow. And then I go on to say, guys, you know, I'm a human being and the teachers in this building and the principal and the vice principals in this building, we're human beings too. Guess what? The adults in your life, they go through this too. And hopefully that opens the door to just being able to even talk about it when you're struggling. Yeah. You know, um, I, I know for myself, I, when I do motivational speaking for the first time this spring, I spoke at a middle school. Oh, that wow. Was a great opening. Great. Toughest audience <laughs> I've ever had. 
and, no doubt. <laughs> and we did it for six weeks in a row. We did an hour a day, um, okay. once a week for six weeks. And it was about preparing for change and things like that. Okay. Um, one of the things that I really found, and I'm sure every teacher out there already knows this, but for me, it was new, was how eye-opening it was for the kids when you say, look, there are adults that struggle with this. There are adults who still can't get this concept down, whatever it is. And I was talking about struggling with change and yeah. how, you know, this isn't, don't beat yourself up because this is something hard or scary that you're facing. Know that that's something that everybody at every stage of their life isn't really excited about. And, and it's the same thing with worthiness. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess then the question then becomes, and I actually, I put this on my students too. Sometimes it's through a cheesy, like, here's an index card, write your first thought down. <laughs> um, and then I collect them. I, I tell everybody to leave their names off of it because mm -hmm. what I do is I show some of my favorite responses um, on a PowerPoint the next day and just say, here's what some people shared. I you love know? Um, and like, so how do we find worthiness? You know, how do we own our awkward? How do we um, see the positive in each other and especially in ourselves? You know, um, it's a difficult journey. Um, but uh, like anything else, I think part of it is through practice. One of my favorite viral, viral videos is of a teacher who taught special education for elementary school. And the first thing he would do um, is call a student one by one up to the front of the classroom and in front of the rest of the class say, um, Susie, I love, first of all, I appreciate you as a human being. You are worthy of love and to be loved. And then would say something specific about what he saw as special in this student. Wow. And that is, oh my gosh, the negativity, the level of negativity <laughs> that I deal with on a daily basis, not even just my students, but with the adults that I work with is just mind blowing. And I know that the, the world of education is not the only place that this happens. We right. all yeah. such seemingly insurmountable negativity and so to start and to model positivity and even just some of the small ways, like that teacher inviting students up to the front of the classroom and speaking positive, something just simple and positive over them. Right. This teacher immediately noticed in the weeks following, his students would start to compliment each other. Wow. And there's, there's power in it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, you, know, you know how many times you hear someone, you know, if you ever hear someone just point out something that you hadn't really noticed that you were good at, or even stop you and say, you look really good today or whatever it is, you know, it, it's, it's, or, you know, you have a good way of handling this, whatever that thing is, it right. just makes you pause and go, Oh, wow, that felt good to hear. And when you hear it, it makes you aware of paying that forward. Absolutely. It's why I think any human being, and I actually, I, I ask my, my students this, like, think back, this is one of the exercises that we do at the beginning of the year. What makes a good teacher? Mm. And nine times out of 10, they're not going to talk about how well they knew their content or how smart they were. Some, some students will talk about that. But most of the time, it's that Maya Angelou thing, right? 
people will easily forget what you, you know, um, I, I guess did in any particular moment, but they'll never forget the way that you made them feel. Right. And yeah. so I remember vividly certain things that a PE teacher said when I was eight years old in second grade. Right. Mm-hmm. And I also remember vividly some of the things that some coaches spoke to me, you know, even yeah. five years later or whatever. So there is power in that. Um, yeah. I remember when I was in eighth grade, my band teacher, Mr. Klaus, I had him in middle school and high school, one of my favorite teachers. Mm. And I remember he was so mad at me because we were giving a performance at our school. One of the teachers said, Andy, you guys did a great job. That was awesome. And I was like, yeah, it was okay. And he was just like, Andy, if someone pays you a compliment, you take it, you don't downplay it. You don't like, like he was mad at me because I didn't value myself. But like, that's what it was about. Sure. I think about that all the time. Cause it's something I still downplay when people, you know, I get, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to tell myself that I'm being like, it's a good quality. Like I'm being humble and I'm not being too, you know, getting too high on a high horse about something, but, but if you're not accepting it and it is a self-worth problem, which is usually what it has been for me, then that's not good. Right. Right. Um, and I love that because I don't know, maybe one of the reasons why we get along so well is there's, there's definitely that, that aspect, you know, um, you know, like I, oh, I hated, hated compliments growing up, like, especially in high school, even sometimes in college, because I was consistently comparing myself to everybody else and just saying, well, yeah, I might've done okay, but look at this other person. Look at how well they did. Look, yeah. look what they're able to do. And mm-hmm. just immediately that deflection and maybe even just some like ugly, deep-rooted like jealousy coming out of insecurity was what was driving this whole visceral response to compliments. Right. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you for hours. This is all such great content. <laughs> but, uh, Likewise. So much to unpack. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask you for some advice for the audience. But first, what's the best way for people to help you and support you? You got music going on. You got all sorts of stuff. What do you want the world to know that you have going on right now? Uh, first and foremost, I would ask humbly <laughs> um, <laughs> that actually I would ask quite aggressively. Um, <laughs> if you're if you're listening and you are the parent of a student, um, if you are involved in your student's journey in the classroom and you're, you're active in what's going on in the classroom or classrooms that your student is involved in or your school in general, um, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for leading the charge. Secondly, if you're not and you're able to do so at all, please, please be as involved in your student's learning as you possibly can. And I'm not just talking about homework. I'm talking about every aspect of development that happens in, in the school context. Yeah. Um, secondly, if you go to davehannonmusic.com, um, you can, you know, stream music and you can, um, I, 
if we haven't already, we're working on putting like just a virtual tip jar or whatever out there. Right. So it goes to diapers and all good things like that. College <laughs> tuition right. later on for Libby when it's, you know, $500,000 a year or whatever it might be when yeah. she's 18. You're, you're um, supporting not only a current musician, but a future musician. Cause I've heard the baby sing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You have <laughs> and Nicholas performing. Yeah. And you've seen her, uh, yeah 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 yeah. um but yeah i would say just pay it forward honestly just be kind to each other and if you happen to have a student at home if you're a grandfather aunt uncle whomever uh mom or dad um please get involved with your students um education it's important that that is and i that's beautiful that you led with the selfless help the kids and maybe it will follow you. <laughs> and, and for everybody who's, whether you're listening or watching, whatever platform you're on, there are links in the description of this episode to uh, Dave Hannon's site. So you can easily just scroll down and click that button and give them a follow, listen to music. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Dave is awesome. And if you're if you're in the Northwest and you catch him or when Dave's traveling, uh, see him live because that's just takes it to the next level. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. Sure. It's always a pleasure to see you performing. Uh, for, for, for the last thing before we go, what is that advice you'd give people on how they can own their offering? Listen. And not only listen to each other, which is hugely important, um, but I believe, maybe because of the way I was raised, but I believe that if you are still enough, and you're quiet enough, um, you're gonna hear your own awkward voice trying to speak to you and say, you are enough. Mm. So I would just say, listen. Wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Too often we're trying to communicate with with our, our voice and our words and usually the answers are there if we're quiet. Hmm. I think so. And that's the tricky part, right? These days we are so, I spoke to it earlier, busying myself. So I didn't have to listen. I didn't want to listen. You know, sometimes it's uncomfortable to listen to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that it, as human beings, it's one of the only ways that we can move forward and truly grow. Yeah, I agree. Well, Dave, thank you so much. It's it's not easy to be vulnerable and share and, and open up to the world. Uh, very much appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Not just your time today, but everything you're doing uh, for the kids, for the youth, for the music industry. It's, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Andy. Likewise, thanks for putting on this podcast where people get the avenue to, to speak about this, because I don't think that we always talk about this as a culture, as a society, we're, we're all about what we're going to sell. Right. Right. Um, so thank you for having an outlet and an avenue in order to speak to those things that are most important. Well, you're happy to do it. It's, 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 Good. it's fun. It's one of the most enjoyable things I do is getting to know people and hear their stories. So thank Good. you, Dave. Uh, everyone be sure to follow him, visit his website, do all the good stuff, get involved with your kids. And as always, on your awkward. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for listening in for today's show. Be sure to visit awkwardcareer.com to continue your journey. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends so they can find their awkward side and learn how to own it.